Welcome to Seat Time, everybody, the online show for the off-road enthusiast. I am your host, Mr. Brian Pierce, your purveyor of awesome. Tonight, we catch up with Mr. Mark Hyde. Mark Hyde is someone every off-road enthusiast needs to know about. Not only does he currently work for KTM, but he's been to Romaniacs to the ISDE multiple times, and he's ridden New Zealand, which is pretty much badass. So remember, we have recently done a collaboration with Dirt Buzz on 10 gift ideas for discerning dirt bikers. It's on our YouTube channel and on dirtbuzz.com. Make sure you go check it out. Our Facebook page has recently blown up thanks to all the grim possible videos that we've been posting of Graham Jarvis. If you haven't seen it, make sure you head to our Facebook page and check that out. We're filming this weekend, which is today, actually, we did some rev limiter, extreme enduro ramp up footage today while out there at Rocky Ridge. So make sure you pay attention to our YouTube channel. Those videos will be on our Patreon first. So please become a patron of ours at patreon.com slash seat time. Remember, if you need a gift for a friend or family for Christmas, grab a seat time shirt from fpmg.threadless.com so you can both support seat time. All right, and now we're here with Mr. Mark Hyde. So as we do, Mr. Mark, we'd like to ask, how is your evening going, kind sir? Oh, it's going great. We're back here in Ohio. We've had some great weather here lately, but now uh, winter's not far away and the holiday season's here. So uh, a lot of good things going on. Awesome. So what is winter right now for you like in Ohio? Because it's really weird here in Texas. <laughs> Yeah, well, right here, um, we, we've had like a bunch of sun and nice weather here in the 50s and high 40s lately, so some good riding weather, actually. Uh, we haven't had any rain, but we had a bunch of rain today, but uh, here in next week, it's supposed to get cold, and up by Lake Erie, where our East Coast KTM headquarters is, uh, they're probably going to start seeing some snow here really quick, and uh, time to put the studded tires on and the hot grip so we can continue our riding season. Crazy, and is that normal for you guys to kind of be in December minus snow? Um, up usually on the, the North coast, as we like to call it, uh, you know, we'll have usually a white Christmas down here in Columbus. It's, uh, you know, we don't get that lake effect, so it's a little bit milder down here, but, uh, at the, at the home office, uh, we definitely get, get a lot of snow up there. Crazy. I guess like, you know, again, like grew up in Louisiana, lived in Texas for so long, <laughs> you kind of just think North, right? And, and yep. it hits November and you go, everybody's under snow. <laughs> like yep. you don't really, you know, so it's, it's interesting how you know, that's not the case whatsoever. Yes, yes. Um, so you were saying about studded tires and, and grip warmer. So you guys ride year-round then up there. Yeah, because usually, like I said, some of the best riding I've ever had is uh, with frozen ground, about six inches of new snow. And, uh, you know, your trails aren't occupied. You pretty much have everything to yourself. You get a couple good riding buddies, and, and you can have an absolute blast. Oh, my gosh. That actually does sound like a lot of fun. It sounds a little... Uh... <laughs> A little intimidating, I'm not going to lie, especially for a, a gentleman like myself. As I just said, yeah. everything is south about myself. Yeah. So uh, I notice when I go skiing or snowboarding and things like that, like my hands and my toes always seem to get, you know, uh, I guess the coldest, right? Like using hand warmers yeah. and things like that. But do you use, do you ever have any issues? I know you said you use hand warmer or grip warmers. So that would work mm -hmm. good if you're one of those people. But what do you do about your boots? Do you potentially do like uh, little hand warmers like in the boots? Some people do that. Uh, I kind of wear the Alpine Star Tech 10s and they have the booty in them. So they keep you pretty warm. And uh, with our group that goes, if we get somebody new, the worst thing you can do is complain about being cold because then we'll find a section of trail 
where by the time they get through it, they're pretty warm. They've done a lot of pushing. <laughs> You're like, oh, so you need something technical and slow and grinding. Got it. Yes, yes. <laughs> I love it. Well, that's the way to do it, man. So let's refresh a little bit of people that, that maybe don't understand or know who you are currently, right? And, and obviously you work for KTM North America, but tell us a little bit about you know what you do there, your, your title and all that kinds of fun stuff. I've got a great title. It's I am the Ride Orange Manager. And basically, I run all our demo activities. Uh, we also do a bunch of other stuff with KTM. We're uh, at all the national enduros. We're a lot of. Uh, we sponsor the AMA Adventure Series. So we have our hands in a lot of a lot of activities. You know, whenever there's an event going on, pretty much we are involved in it. And I got uh, you know some great people. You know, my two uh, drivers, and they also do more than just drive the trucks, the two semis around. They they're very active in putting our events. Uh, Sid and Jesse. And then uh, we got a new guy out west, uh, Sean Devlin, that just came on board. And uh, he's kind of my Mike Lafferty East. And a lot of people know Mike Lafferty. He's eight-time national enduro champ. Right. Uh, he works in our program, too, and, uh, you know, does a fantastic and That crew just does a great job for us. And we're all over the United States doing street bike demos, dirt bike demos, motocross, off-road, you name, you know, adventure. Uh, we're someplace almost every weekend uh, doing some type of activities uh, at all the different types of events throughout America. That's fantastic. So when when um, when you potentially talk to younger kids and you tell them that your title is Ride Orange Manager, <laughs> is, do they ever ask like, "How can I, you know, uh, reach that pinnacle of greatness?" Like they're like, "What does that actually mean?" <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like that's you're like, "Here's my business card. I don't know what I do. This is just the name." <laughs> yep. Uh, not only kids, but I get a lot of adults asking me how I get this position. Uh, it's uh, you know I've been very fortunate. I've been around some great people throughout my whole riding racing career. That uh, you know I've tapped into, just learned it every step of the way, and uh, it's uh, worked out. You know, and being with the KTM family, uh, you know, growing up in Ohio like I did, I've known the Penton family from the very beginning. You know, of my pretty much riding career and racing career, and uh, to work for them and see the growth that KTM has on you know following on the coattails of all the hard work John Penton and his family did to make everything happen. It's just a dream come through for, for a kid, you know. Oh, I bet, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and so, like, what we've been kind of trying to do uh, lately is really learn a lot more about people like yourself that have just done so much for this sport. And some of the people's names are, are you know, well and known, and some of them aren't. But at the same time, that doesn't mean the stories aren't great and what they, you people have done for the sport, you riders, um, have really put us on the map. So you were talking about growing up in Ohio. Where was it for you that dirt bikes were introduced either to you or like into your family that then introduced it to you? My dad always had, uh, you know, a love for motorcycling. And uh, basically he and two of his really good friends both had kids about my age. And the six of us, you know, when I got my first mini bike, the six of us, we would go riding every weekend. You know, we, you know, I was into other sports too, but uh, that was kind of our family, our father-son time. You know, it was just great. And, you know, with the six of us going about every weekend, uh, you know, it was just a lot of fun. And, and you learned a lot too. I mean, uh, and it also got me through school because uh, if my grades went down, the first thing that went away was my motorcycle. Oh, so smart. That was, smart. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that was highly motivating. But, uh, you know, having the, you know, to learn mechanical aspects and, you know, other things that motorcycling taught you, uh, 
you know, it was pretty, pretty fun growing up. And, and back then, you know, we had, I could ride right from the house and we had a little track at the house. So that was fun. And, you know, little mini bikes back then, they didn't make really any noise and, you know, and everybody was pretty tolerant of stuff like that. And, uh, you know, the neighborhoods were a little more open where I grew up. So, uh, we, we had a lot of fun doing that. That's awesome. And what were those first, uh, mini bikes you were talking about? Well, my first mini bike was like a lot of people was a, the Honda Mini Trail 50. Yep. Uh, back in 1970, you know, and then we saw that's when the movie on any Sunday came out. So that was a huge uh, deal for me as a kid to see that movie. And then, like I said, have the Penton influence in my area because, you know, we rode for two, three years before we ever went to a race. And then, you know, you could go to a local race and, and the Pentons would actually be there with the, the cycle liner and other things. And some of the other people in the area, I had uh, Frank Gallo and um, Gary Yonkins, both ISDE gold medalists uh, from my area and Al Chupa, another guy, that guy, he probably won more motorcycle races than anybody on the planet. And, you know, growing up in our area, if you could beat Al, you could beat anybody. Man, and that's what's crazy. It's, again, like, you know, for being where I'm at in Louisiana, uh, just outside New Orleans, like, there's a ton of people that I respected, right? But I guess, like, um, by no means did I ever go, wow, like, I've seen them in a magazine or their name <laughs> is it, – but it just sounds like you were growing up around, you know, all the names, right? Like, people that were competing in the ISDE, obviously John Pinton and everything that was mm-hmm. going on there. I mean, did you – I mean, did that did that connect with you at a younger age, or was it not till you were a little bit older that you kind of like understand that? No, you can understand because like you'd pick up the magazines and you'd read about Dick Burleson because the Husqvarna, uh, their East Coast facility was down in Columbus, Ohio. The Lojacks were over in the Pittsburgh area, so you would see all these. People, you know, you read about them in the magazine, and you go to a local race every once in a while, and there they were on the starting line. I mean. You could have the race of your life and not even break the top 10 when they all showed up. (laughs) Yeah. uh, You're like, oh my gosh, that was the best race I've ever had. And you're like, sweet, 20th overall, I'll take it. Like, yeah. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, so that was just, and with the Husqvarna and the, the Penton influence there. And, you know, some of the other, like I said, with Frank Gallo and, uh, you know, guys like that around. And then uh, Kevin Lavoie, another multi-time ISD gold medalist and national winner. He was a good friend of, uh, of, Frank's and Kevin to this day, you know, I still talk to him quite a bit and go riding with him every once in a while, but he's from up in Rhode Island. You know, he would come visit Frank and he would come to a local race. So, you know, in the Pentons and the Husqvarna teams, they'd have guys in for something and for some odd reason, you know, they, because that's what all the off-road guys did, you know, right? they would ride, he raced all the time. He didn't care where the race was, you know, so it was pretty neat. And, uh, you know, and I remember one of the, the coolest things ever when I was a kid, I had my 100 Penton. And we were at a local hair scrambles not far from Amherst that my dad and I rode. And after the race, I came back to our pickup truck and my dad was sitting on the tailgate with John Penton. And because <laughs> my dad was riding a 175 Jack Piner and his bike had broken that day. And John you know, happened to see him and started talking to him about it. And my dad told him what had happened to his bike. And John spent time telling my dad how to fix the problem so it would never happen again wow and i come wheeling up to the truck and you know my dad and say hey this is mr penton and, you know and i'm shaking the guy's hand i can't even talk you know because here's the guy that makes my motorcycle yeah you know talking to me that's one heck a of a 13 year old kid yeah and he asked me how i did and i had won the 100 class that day and john reaches into his wallet and this back when they used to have those penton class winner stickers and he handed me one of those stickers on the spot <sighs> you know and uh, that was just an amazing moment as a kid. And, you know, when something like that happens, I mean, you know, when you're that age, you know, you, your gas tank says Penton on it. And here is Mr. Penton, 
Oh, and yeah. I mean, you just it's, it's just ingrained <laughs> in your memory of how special of a moment that is. And it's awesome that you yeah. were aware enough at 13 to to kind of, I guess, make that awareness. Um, because I think that sometimes, you know, as teenagers, we can kind of. But, yeah, that's awesome <laughs> that you were that in tuned yeah. with with where you were at and who he was and and how special of a yeah. moment that was, because that's pretty neat. Yeah. I know um, I've only gotten a couple finisher uh, pins or patches from mm-hmm. different races, and just those felt special. But they were just given to me by the yeah. promoter. They weren't given to me mm-hmm. by the super <laughs> special people. So yeah, that's yeah. pretty nuts, man. And it, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's one of those things where you could go, "Hey, so how did you get into racing?" But I mean, it sounds like there was really. I mean, if you were on a motorcycle in the area you were at, like that's you. You may not have been much of a racer, but you were going to these events, like yeah, there was, e- either yeah. you or all the other locals, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, we rode for like three years before we went to a race, but, you know, you read about them in magazines, and then we went and watched a few races and before we went and did one. Uh, you know, and there was races all over the place, uh, close to, I mean, close to us. I mean, there was one motocross track I could ride from out my back of my house down the railroad tracks and be there in like 10 minutes, you know, through yeah. the back fields. And uh, so that was neat to have a, a really cool motocross track close by, and uh, some hair scrambles tracks were, were nearby as well, so... Uh, you know, and, and again, watching the movie on any Sunday at such a young age, you got to see the big picture a little bit, even though as a kid, you didn't really realize it. And looking back now, you, you know, because Jeff Ward was in that movie. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, you know, and, you know, Malcolm Smith and, you know, just, uh, you know, and Malcolm, too, because I was with my influence, was really in more into the off-road stuff, just to uh, see about six days. And then in 1973, uh, my dad and his one friend, his son, Kurt and David Paul the four of us went up to the ISDE in Massachusetts and got to watch, you know, that event, uh, you know, at a very young age. So that was pretty impressive as well. Uh, is that, I guess, where does that racing bug as in something that you're, you're trying to kind of, you know, do it a little bit more professionally, where does that kind of kick in for you or where does that mental switch go? This is something I want to try to make money at or, or, or you know, make my living. Yeah. Well, it just started, it, it was funny because, uh, you know, it started out racing locally and because of the talent level in my area, you know, I got to see how, what you had to do to be at the very top of the sport. You knew at an it early was harder age. than others for, <laughs> for you. Yeah. But then also you got to see, you know, it really sped up your learning curve because, you know, I'd be at a race and getting lapped by Frank Gal or one of those guys. <laughs> right. And they go blowing by me. It's like, okay, I'm going to stick with them for three corners or whatever, as long as I can, it may be three corners. The next race, I might stay with them for five corners. So you pick up a lot of little things that, you know, you know, the visual aspect of it was really important and stuff. So to see that and, uh, you know, and I was, you know, was lucky that I, I had some some talents, uh, some God-given talents. And then also recognized it, the things also that you had to work on to do that. You know, I just had such a passion for it. I mean, and being able to ride out of my house you know, just go riding every day if I wanted to or everything I did, you know, in high school, I, I ran track, not because I loved to run, but because it kept me in shape to ride motorcycles. Yeah. You knew it was something that was needed. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Smart. Yeah. And then though, but I wasn't real sharp on something because I remember, uh, in 79 when I won the first black, my first Blackwater 100, uh, I was at a local race the next weekend and Teddy Leinbach, John Penton's nephew, Teddy and I were about the same age and we were, became pretty good friends over the years. And, uh, you know, he's like, man, I can't believe Blackwater. That's so awesome. He says, what's that doing for you? I says, you know, they're not doing anything for me. He says, well, have you called them? <laughs> I said, no. I said, I thought when you got good, they called you. 
<laughs> and he says, no, no, no. He, and he gave me the number of the guys down at Husky, you know, Dick Burleson and the gang, and uh, got a hold of them. And, uh, you know, they were going to step up and help me out the next year. But then that's when Jack Penton got contracted by Kawasaki to develop the KDX line of oh, motorcycles. Interesting. Yeah, and he had his team selected, but they had, they wanted one more person, but they didn't really have a budget for it. And Teddy, again, he stepped up and he says, hey, Jack, you should hire Mark. He lives an hour and a half away. He can come up, jump in the truck. He can go to the races with us. If he does great, great. If he doesn't do good, it doesn't really cost us anything. So There you go. So it, you're yeah, you're so cheap it, but super effective. Yes, yes. It was, a, a you know, and the guys at Husqvarna, they understood it because they couldn't offer me what the Kawasaki program was. Uh you know, I mean, it was still the Husky thing was a great deal. And then, you know, did the Kawasaki program for two years. And then uh, Dick Burleson retired from his eight championship run. And uh, I, they had an open spot. So then Husky uh, hired me up to race for them and work in their East Coast office down in the Columbus area. Oh, my gosh. It's just so it's, it's <laughs> one of those things where, you, yeah, like to your point, like you're kind of like you think that they're going to call you and then you make that one call. And then all of a sudden it's just luckily enough, like you're now on their radar and things just kind of continuously yeah. fall in the right place. Yeah. And, and that's why I said earlier, you know, I, I've got to meet so many good people over the years in racing, you know, and, and learn from, you know, like Jack Penton, Dick Burleson, um, you know, and just meeting Jack's nephew, Teddy Leinbach, you know, Teddy and I raced a lot on hundreds and 125s, 175s together when we were younger. So, you know, knowing Teddy, like I did, he put the word into Jack. He's like, Hey, you know, you should take a look at this kid. So, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it was pretty cool to to be able to you know get those inroads at a at that age and, and you know being in Ohio racing against those guys on a weekly basis or you know they could see you every once in a while that was a big help. Yeah, and I like your point about uh, now I, I've kind of tried to take the aspect of what you were saying. I would uh, ride like on row twenty seven sometimes when I was doing the enduros and kind of an A rider and I'd get passed by Hayden Franklin on twenty eight <laughs> and then by Cole Kirkpatrick on twenty nine. Yeah. You know, in the local <laughs> Texas stuff. Once I moved here, yeah. and I kind of remember watching them and and kind of having that. That, that mental aptitude of okay you know this test they passed me and i've been able to keep with them for x amount of turns and or maybe x amount of seconds however it was going down but it's interesting yeah. what you said about watching them that's uh, honestly that was never something that i even thought of and, and you yeah. know it's it's something as i kind of look back to that time i, I do that more now when because mm -hmm. you know, i still get passed it's a thing it happens <laughs> yeah. um, but looking back i never really did that and that probably would have helped so much more i think i was um, you know maybe overly focused on trying to keep up with them right that i didn't actually mm -hmm. go what are they doing differently that maybe mm -hmm. i should try to to emulate to a degree um and yeah. so that's that's pretty smart so hopefully we can you know some people listening can kind of take that that's some extra advice to to uh i guess try to speed up some <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, you can always learn, you know, you're, when you're riding, you're always learning, you know, and you never want to miss an opportunity. I just remember, too, one thing that helped me out a lot in my career was that six days in 1973 we talked about. Uh, I was up there. We were at this one special test, and they came down this power line into a real nasty mud hole. And, you know, we're standing up on the bank watching. All of a sudden, this one guy comes down and rides right through where we're standing. We all have to jump out of the way. And I look at my dad. I said, Dad, what's that guy thinking? He's completely out of control and this one guy says he says no he says he headed to where the spectators are spectators don't stand in the mud they stand on the high dry spots i'm like and that stuck with me my whole career you don't know how many times i've used that over the years you know what's nuts you know when i learned that <laughs> i learned that about two months ago when i talked to tommy norton <laughs> how, how jacked up is that 
That's I like, crazy. I've never it, it it it's for whatever reason, and what's been crazier too is like talking to. So we did the Zinc National Enduro, you know, just mm-hmm. recently a couple months ago, and I did a couple interviews in the first two sections because of all the rain the night before were still really really soggy. They were just really deep, and so I was yep. talking to all the guys like what they thought about that, and they were like, "Well, if you'd have watched us, you thought that we were drunk." Because we were just, we would go left to right, right to left, left to right. You know, it was all 45 degrees turns, you know, even Mm -hmm. though the trail went straight. And they're like, because when it gets rutted out like that, you you don't try to go through them, you cross them. You know, because obviously in this case, there's no spectators to go, well, that's where the dry dry (laughs) land is. And I'm like... The light bulbs are going off. I'm like, how did I never learn to ride in the mud? Like, I am the biggest idiot. Like, the past three months of, you know, of these more podcasts have taught me so much, and it's been so great. So hopefully other people are listening and learning that, one, I'm an idiot, but two, is that there are these great riding techniques that you geniuses have that, uh, for some strange reason, I never picked up on. And I appreciate you guys sharing that with us. But yeah. Oh no, that's that's yeah, and that's one thing I've kind of always benefited in my career. I've been for some reason, you know, I've just really been good at picking lines. The more difficult the race, usually the better I do, and and things like that. And and that's another thing. When everybody asked me riding tips, I said the number one thing you can do is vision. The further you can look down the trail and mm. pick stuff up, because you don't come to a base of a hill and then automatically do something spectacular <laughs> or come up to something. It's like, you know, if you can see it, you know. I have people all the time like, well, how'd you do this and everything? I said, well, I knew it was there. I saw it coming. Well, how did you see it coming? Because so many people look down five feet, 10 feet in front of their front wheel. And, uh, you know, the further out you can look and plan for things, uh, the, the it just makes your riding so much easier. Yeah, no, and that's like, and 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 part of that too. Uh, Hayden Franklin and I were talking about this this weekend at the the Grim Possible that happened here in Texas, and he was saying, you know, he kind of launched off into some spectators, and I was asking him about it after the fact, and he goes, "Man, I don't know what happened. Like, I made a small mistake, and my eyes focused on the guy's foot, and then that was it. And it's like I couldn't not look at it, you know. And it's you know, to your point about vision, it's like sometimes you know, to your own detriment, you're like, I'm looking too far ahead, or you happen to just kind of look in the wrong spot and then you fixate and it just goes the wrong way but yeah no i remember my father always asking me he's like he would take pictures and be like why are you looking at your fender and i'm like well that's my wheel i want to know where it's going he goes by that point it's already there and so yeah and so he's like what you need to do is you need and so he did do a lot of drills with me like that where he was kind of like trying to teach me how to look five feet 10 feet you know and then the 20 feet and then however comfortable you are whatever speed you're going you know to be you know cognizant of what's coming up to you along the trail now granted if you watch any of the video from uh, zinc national enduro you think that i have no idea what i'm doing but (laughs) i'm still having a great time on a dirt bike so that's what it's all about man i would agree totally so let's talk about blackwater 100 so you are the most the winningest, I think, is the winningest yes. Blackwater 100 winner would be the the grammatically correct way to put that. So there are some stories there, but you've you're kind of spread out as well. So you're like 79, 82, 86, and then 87. It looks like it correct, and so correct. that that's a pretty good span. Um, yep. What tell me? You know, we've gotten some good stories from the event, but how would you historically talk about the stories of the event? Like, how has it changed or you know, how was 79 different from 87 or this happened in 79, but then this happened in 87 or anything like that. Like, I think that would be neat to be able to cover this, you know, that event from your perspective throughout the years. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the big thing, like 79, uh, you know, like I said, I was 
fully on my own dime, you know, just racing for racing sake, having fun, doing good locally. You know, whenever I'd been to Blackwater before one time and uh, didn't go so well. So went back and uh, I just remember uh, back then they had one bucket where you drew the numbers out of. And they, you know, and I drew number 327. So, and you started on <laughs> Far in the back, right? I was way in the back, you know, and th- that first year was, it was pretty, uh, I mean, cause it was, you know, just a tough, difficult rate. I mean, it was every year, but, uh, you know, I just able, they had this one big nasty downhill off this, you know, about five miles in. And I remember I got there and the thing was just plugged up. People were just everywhere. And there's this one little ridge and Rod Bush, actually, I saw him jump up on that little ridge and start heading down this hill and I, cause it kind of got, you know, hogged out. So once you were in it, you could, you know, on the main line, you couldn't get up onto this other little line, but Rod had seen it again, vision. He saw it. I didn't, I just right. saw Rod go that way. And when we're going down this thing and all of a sudden this one guy thought he could get up there. And just as Rod was coming by, he tried it and took them both out. Rod went tumbling down into the ravine and he, he was probably there the rest of the day getting oh. out. But, and I just screamed, you know, hard at the guy and he, bored, and I went by I probably passed a hundred guys right there, you know, and, uh, um, so, and then just every lap, you know, I just had one of those good races where I never really made any mistakes and my bike worked perfect all day and everything just, just went my way and, you know, ended up winning it. And, uh, then a few years after that, that's when they started having the pro class. So then they, or they, they had a second bucket they added where you, all the pre-entries would get to draw the first bucket. So that moved us up in 82 so that but 82 i drew number five so i went from one extreme to the other right yeah um, on that uh so that that made my life much easier even though that that race is you know was difficult no matter on the best circumstances uh and then too i think for the first 17 years of the race every year it rained at some point in the day during the race hmm. so you know <laughs> you always had to look to forward to deeper water <laughs> yes yes and and it was so cool because the race it had everything i mean we had rocks we had mud holes we had this we had that you know you got to you know and the cool part is you got to ride through town you know because you know again the movie on any sunday the elsinore grand prix oh, you, yes, know, yep. you know you just have those flashbacks you know of this and that and stuff and uh and then too racing with all the different different guys you know because black and back then you know there was no the, the communication wasn't there in the early years so you know, they, you'd come into the pits and they'd say, Hey, you got a 30 second lead or whatever. But that was basically from an hour ago. Cause that's the last time you <laughs> talked to your pit crew. Right. You yeah. Know? So you didn't really know where you were. Uh, but 82, like I said, uh, got out front, got away, you know, and it, it went just, it was just totally the opposite of, of 79 because 79, I was clearing the back and just battled all day to the front where in 82 first row, got out front right away, checked out, never saw anybody all day. So, which isn't the case. And then, uh, that's the way you want to win though. If you're going to have an easy day of doing it, right? (laughs) Yes. Yep. Yep. And then 86, uh, had a big battle with Ed Lojack. Uh, he and I were, you know, battling for the first couple laps. And, uh, I remember coming around on the third lap and I see Ed sitting there and he had broken a chain, but he was behind me, you know, but just a few seconds. So I didn't know he was, down until like i said an hour later i come by and see him sitting on the trail and i said hey you got a mash link he says no i said i got one i'm getting my mash link out and i go oh Ed, by the way how close is third place he said oh we had about 20 minutes on third place i'm said oh, okay good yeah That's like oh wait <laughs> this is gonna come up yeah. and start passing you guys <laughs> yeah um and then uh 87 was a year where we had just a ton a ton of rain 
And uh, I think we only had like four or five people finish the race. Oh and gosh. I ended up and I ended up winning by like 45 minutes. Uh, so Is it, again, if it you a, kept your bike running and stayed smart, you were one of the four yeah. or five people. Yes. And, and that race was pretty comical because a friend of mine from here in the Columbus area, Wayne, Wayne Malicote, that rode his parents had a tree farm. And they don't believe in, you know, tree spades and things like that. They believed in Wayne and a shovel. Mm. I mean, his kid's as strong as an ox. And I remember on the last lap, I mean, it was a, just like I said, a miserable race because it had so much rain that everything was so deep and nasty. And I'm kind of the last bad section of the loop. And I'm coming down this downhill into this last really bad mud section. And I see Wayne sitting at the bottom looking like, which way should I go? And I come down, I'm hey, Wayne, follow me. And he's like, oh, cool. Mark's going to help me out. <laughs> and I'm like thinking, if I get stuck, Wayne is the guy I want with me to pull me out. <laughs> yep. Because he could just so grab he, that bike and just rip it out of the ground for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, after the race, he's like, hey, man, thanks for showing me through that last section. You know, he thinks I'm a nice guy and I was just using him, man. I just wanted a safety blanket. Now, you didn't tell him that for 20 years, did you? Oh, uh, no, no. I told him, you know. But, uh, <laughs> like you're still my friend. I just had to yeah. use you. <laughs> yeah, I didn't need him, but just in case. Oh no, that's but, that's, a, uh, that's a heck of a smart uh, smart strategy you know. to have there. So, uh, any we've obviously heard some Highway 93 stories, Moon Rocks, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the power lines and just how fast <laughs> it is. And Tommy Norton was talking about how he almost had probably like three or four different head-on collisions with different pickup trucks, right? Like people <laughs> just going out there trying to find spectating. Are there any just no. like outrageous like stories that you can kind of remember from your Blackwater 100 days? Oh, geez. Um, yeah, there was, I, well, one, well, the year that I was racing with Ed, I just remember we're ride through this one big bog section and we're kind of parallel on a bigger river and i know we're gonna to have to cross it and i see it and where the main crossing was was just getting super nasty and you could see you could see it coming guys are just stuck everywhere and then i see these guys before that just sitting there watch, watching and i'm looking at it as it come up because the one side looked higher and i think you know if i square this and you know like just third gear and just pin it i think i can make it across the river and everything and so I square my bike up and I'm grabbing gears heading for this. And the guys are the spectators. They're kind of looking at the mud hole where everybody else is going. Mm -hmm. So they I'm coming up kind of on the side, kind of blindsiding them. And then all of a sudden, the one guy in the end, he hears me coming and he looks over and then, you know, taps his next buddy on the shoulder who taps the next buddy, who taps the next buddy. And all these guys scatter just as I'm launching over this thing. And I figured, you know, worst case scenario, I crash, but I'm on the other side. Right. And everything. I didn't crash, and they had a couple styrofoam coolers. I swapped out right through their coolers, just blew them all over. I look back there, styrofoam everywhere, beers flying everywhere, and these guys are just cheering like crazy. And then, uh, you know, I come around the next lap, and I'm like, oh, I hope those guys weren't too mad at me because I'm going to do the same thing again. <laughs> and they saw me coming, and they're like, hey, over here, over here, we're ready for you, you know. So They were probably ready to hand you a beer at that point. Oh, yeah. The spectators of Blackwater were so much fun. Now, those were the one spectators, though. They didn't always stand in the high and dry spots. You could, you know, they would get in deep. So you had to watch that strategy there. But uh, but the, it was just a fun, fun event, you know, because it was, you know, you got to race through town and, you know, just the, the course and everything that went along with it. The spectators, I mean, it was just a blast. Awesome. We had so much fun down there. 
Yeah, it's been so neat hearing about that. Obviously, Jared Bolton and myself had a kind mm-hmm. of a, a history lesson just of itself, you know, with the Blackwater yeah. 100. And then we've just been able to have so many cool stories with different people. So it's just like there's so many yeah. different perspectives, right? Even Craig Martin, yeah. he's raced it before and had so many. Yeah. So and that's you guys, even though you were there at the same time, maybe even the same bikes, like everybody's <laughs> perspective is different, right? Like the stories yeah. and the, the weird <laughs> shenanigans that had to have gone on in the woods kind of a thing. So I yeah. definitely yeah. appreciate that. Let's if you've got some more time, let's. Yeah. Talk about the ISDE a little bit because that's one thing that we haven't had too much from, you know, kind of in that, that 80s era when you were, you know, kicking butt and taking names and heading over there, uh, you know, across the seas to do all this stuff. So when when was, was it 1980 that was your first ISDE? Yes, 1980 in France. Okay, but that was the one that you were, you unfortunately DNF'd, is that correct? Yes, yes, okay. that is correct. But yeah. yeah, to just kind of talk us through again, like, you know, you I know you've done it for a while you've probably got plethora of stories and it's just going to be interesting to hear how how awesome it was for you such a young lad on a dirt bike getting over to go to go race for your country yep again you know just the the history of growing up in ohio with the the penton and the husvarna uh, legacy back here you know so many people rode six days from this area and everything and you know going to six days in 73 was the first time we had ever won anything uh you know when, when the Voss team won um with uh, dick burleson ed schmidt uh, Ron Bond and Malcolm Smith. Yep. Uh, and then I'll jump ahead a lot and then we'll come back. Uh, but then to be in Spain, because actually the last six, seven years, uh, I've been the official team chase rider for our trophy team. And to see the guys win in Spain after being so close so many times. So uh, that was just amazing. And, oh, that's cool. Uh, I did not know that you were there. So yeah, that meant a lot yeah. because I think you were on yeah. a trophy team that they were expecting you guys to win. And there was a lot of... Yeah. A lot of hubble-lub. Yeah, yeah. well, we got second in 1982. Uh, but, yeah, the, my first six days in France didn't go well. Had a had a bike problem and ended up DNF. And then Italy the next year went and got a gold medal. And then uh, next year in 82, we had a, a really strong trophy team with, uh, you know, Scott Harden, Ed Lojack, Mike Melton, Terry Cunningham, Wally Wilson, and myself and stuff. And uh, we battled all week and had a, had a great week but ended up second. And, you know, we thought – we we should have won it, but uh, you know that's racing sometimes. But uh, uh, you know, and then since we were that close that time, we had some great teams. Even the next year in Wales, you know, did really well. And but uh, uh, man, we just kept coming up short. You know, we had some club teams that won. And our junior team, we got quite a few junior team wins in there for a while, but could never pull off the trophy team win. Right. And and, and I've been to over twenty six days. You know, as a competitor and and helping work the event. Goodness gracious, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, and then even one year in when it was in New Zealand, uh, when I said working event, I always meant working for Team USA. Right. But in New Zealand, uh, Alan Rant and I, we went down there just trail riding one time, and we met the promoter uh, down there, and he lost a bet to us, and we got to go back and be course marshals for the actual event. Awesome. Uh, that was my best six days ever because I had the marshal bib. I could go anywhere, do anything, and it was just – and the riding in New Zealand was just spectacular. You know, so I've uh, seen a lot of uh, mountain biking, right? Because I, yep. I do a lot of mountain biking and downhill and mm-hmm. stuff, and I've so I've I've seen a lot of that from the perspective of mountain biking. But I can only imagine mm-hmm. I have not seen a lot from the dirt biking. But if it's anything yeah. like mountain biking, it's it's got to mm-hmm. be pretty darn epic. Yeah, and that's you know and that's when uh, kind of like what led to our success here recently, because that's when uh, Kurt Caselli and his dad yep. really got behind the program, and they won the the junior team that year. And stuff, and then a lot of those, you know, which really set 
the tone for where our six days team has ended up now that now we're a contender for all the classes when we go over there. So, so that was a big, yeah, it was a big moment to see those kids do so well at that event. And, uh, you know, but but yeah, from the, my history of six days, that was pretty cool to, to be on the actual promoter side a little bit and to have the Marshall bib and to be able to go anywhere and do anything because, you know, sometimes been running from the marshals at a few of the events. So it was good to be on the other side. You're like, I don't need to get in trouble. I'm going to just take off. Um, yeah. yeah. You, you kind of mentioned the elusiveness, you know, of that win. And obviously it's been extremely elusive. Um, and, yep. and Team USA has been on the, the, has almost won it now for so many years. Um, and then they finally did win it last year in Spain or, you know, not last year as in 17, but 16 in Spain. Um, what is it about that event with potentially maybe is it for other countries as well, but I'm just using the United States as an example here that makes it so hard to win. And, and obviously we could take that in many directions, but I just wanted to get your perspective since you've been involved with it for so long. Yeah. I think the biggest thing and it's uh, people sometimes really don't understand it. Cause I don't even myself sometimes when I look at the best way I think it makes makes sense is you look at supercross and motocross they're the same, but they're so different. And that's the way, like every series we used to race in America, whether it's National Hair Scrambles, GNCC, National Enduros, you know, uh, works races, they're not the six days format. And those guys, that's what they race year in, year out. And so they are so good at going so fast for a short period of time without making mistakes, you know. And I remember just watching like Juha Salman and uh, that guy was just amazing how fast he could go, but not make a mistake. And our guys were used to more of, okay, I got to get uh, get going. I'll get up to speed. And then, you know, because I'm in a two and a half hour race or whatever, National Enduros, you know, you're in single track trail for a long time. And, you know, just that sprint speed and just the, the focus you have to make for just such a short period of time. And then also going six days and not making a mistake. Because we, we had some good teams over the years and, you know, some guys that were competitive, like, you know, when Rodney Smith got into the game, he really upped it, was third overall the very first six days he rode, you know, and Rodney coming from the motocross background, he had that sprint speed and, you know, and he was a super smart rider, really technically sound. And, you know, he was kind of the blueprint of the guys, you know, that's the kind of guy we need to to be successful at six days. Right. He can work on his bike, he can ride trail, and he can go blazingly fast in the test and not make mistakes. So, I think it just took us a while um, to finally get the right mix of guys that kind of had, because it seemed like we always had like some good guys, but not that the fifth, sixth guy we kind of always missed out on, you know, and, or, you know, you'd get a group of guys together for a while and then something would happen and they'd get tired of it and go do something different because, you know, their paycheck relied on doing that yeah you know. another series or something like that yeah yeah you know they, they made their money here racing national enduros gnccs things like that um but then you know it's one of those things once you start having success at six days you know success breeds success type of deal right you know and now now you got kids like you know uh you know kurt caselli definitely really you know he learned from rodney and then kurt really took it to another level by you know going to europe and racing some world rounds and you know figuring out what they did, how they did it. And, uh, you know, and then Auntie Colin and the KTM race team manager, you know, John Eric Burleson, he mm-hmm. said, Hey, Auntie, you know, you know what it takes. We're going to put three years into this and let's make it happen. 
And it took a little longer than three years. Like I said, I, I used to tell people, yeah, I'm in the fifth year of a three-year plan. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, Auntie got his core group of people together. You know, Robert Pierce is another person that works for us at KTM. He rode six days back in the late 70s, early 80s. And, and Robert was actually at six days in 73. So he and I are the only two people I know of from America that got to see both victories, our first two victories in six days competition. So, wow. uh, and then we both worked for the same company. So how, how ironic is that? And, and Robert too, he's up from, you know, up in the Buffalo area. So he's another guy that, you know, raced some of the races I did growing up. He's a few years older than me, but not much. We still cross paths. Right. Um, well, what are your thoughts? Uh, Cause I liked your talking about momentum, you know, kind of carrying that in this year. And a lot of us, you know, we were hoping that that momentum from 2016 would kind of come over and, and yeah. talking with Thad, talking with, you know, Russell and other guy and Robert and, and Sipes, like everybody was stoked. Right. Um, yep. and, and, and obviously then, then the format changes and it's four riders, um, and then Thad comes in and gets hurt on the first day, uh, and, and without a drop, you know, I mean, is there, are we gonna just kind of always see a top team, you know, completely out of it on just some random day because one of the riders, I mean, it seems that it's almost going to be impossible without, you know, to push it 110% and come out with all four of your riders. Yeah. And I think that's part of six days. You know, I actually like counting all the riders because when I did it, we always counted all six. And that was oh, okay. a, even a harder deal oh, to yeah, count. Yeah. And then it was quite a few years, you know, later in the, like, I think in the early 90s is when they started dropping a rider. You know, you could throw out a score a day or, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the 90s, they started doing that. And, but I think that's part of the six days and part of it. And, uh, and I think we can be very successful at that. I mean, uh, I think we have the towns like Taylor Robert, that kid. You know, I've got to know Taylor quite <laughs> yeah. a, quite well over the last few years because of six days. And his mom and dad are just great people, too. And uh, just like all the guys, you know, you look at their parents and I think that, you know, lets you know why they're so successful. But Taylor just has such a dedication, you know, and he won his, you know, won six days overall last year, won his class this year. And, uh, you know, if it hadn't been for a, a bike problem in Argentina, he would have won six days overall there, too. But um, so I think the foundation right now is there and we have such a good group and you know, and Zach Osborne's another kid, you know, as much success as he has race motocross, the kid wants to race six days so bad. Again. Yeah, as soon he's, as his contracts know, are up and he's done with motocross and supercross, he'll be right back into off-road again for sure. I think even if he has his way before that contract. Oh, up, really? I, mean, <laughs> I well, like it. You know, because, I mean, it, it worked out last year. Lane Michaels was able to step up and fill our trophy team spot. But when I heard that... uh you know, that uh, Sipes got hurt at the GNCC the day we were supposed to leave for six days. First phone call I made was to Zach Osborne. I said, hey, Zach. I said, what do you think? <laughs> I said, have you called Auntie yet? He says, I've, I'm, I'm dialing Auntie as we speak. He said, I got to go. So, but, you know, Lane Michaels, he's a great kid and he stepped up and, you know, because, you know, we had the bike over there for him. So it, it worked out, you know, fantastic. But I know, uh, you know, Zach wants to go do it. But we have some great guys, too, with uh with Caleb and Taylor and, you know, the Thad. I mean, I, I feel horrible for Thad because, like I said, he hadn't ridden five miles and it was just a really fluke little thing. And, uh, you know, he tried to, to keep going and rode for another hour, got to the next test, but just couldn't do it. But uh, Thad really stepped his game up this year and, uh, you know, was on the team that won last year. And, uh, you know, I, I just felt horrible for him. And I know he felt worse than, than anybody. But uh, I'm sure they'll regroup. And uh, Chile this year, I, I think uh, – We'll be in fine shape, and uh, yeah, I'm looking to see those guys on top step of the podium when we're done. Yeah, man, it's going to be cool. And it, it, what's great is we're getting kind of a qualifier series back again. I think that's yep. awesome. I know I personally want to try to make 
you know, it, uh, I want to try to make the three-day full gas qualifier this year. I think it's going to be mm-hmm. in May sometime just because okay. it'll be fun, right? Like I yep. did the 2012 ISD qualifier in Boise, Idaho, and that was gnarly. That was so <laughs> awesome riding up there. Oh, my gosh, you know, 100 yeah. plus miles a day, and then you ride all yep. of it backwards. I mean <laughs> – totally beat to death but holy moly was it so much fun so you know now that the kind of the 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 sprint enduro style has has made its way with j-day and with full gas and then other organizations Mm -hmm. as well putting on sprint enduros i really like the format it's fun it's different right i think that's what's nice about it too is it's just a different kind of weekend um from what we're used to doing so hopefully how do you see that potentially evolving and or changing riders and racers as we you know keep continuing to uh compete at six days you know that that series definitely focuses more on the sprint speed which which is for six days that's what you need i mean because most guys if you can ride that you can make the trail and and anymore they don't make the trail just like we've suffered land closures in america they have it in europe as well yeah so you can't put just consistently long miles of trail together so the trail is going to be there uh but it's special tests and keeping your bike together you know and like i said mostly special tests all your bikes are so good anymore when i say keeping bike together you know just the minor stuff you got to change tires brake pads things like that just keep an eye on things and you'll be fine um so any you know series that uh really focuses on going fast over a, a relatively short space without you know like a 10 minute section or so without making mistakes and a little bit more wide open because the national enduros is is a great series, but you know, it's, it's kind of the opposite of six days where you have short transfers, but long tests where six days it's long transfers, short tests. But, uh, even the new, uh, enduro format where got rid of the timekeeping, you know, that you can right. see guys like Thad Duvall and Caleb Russell go in there and be competitive from day one. So I think that has helped also it's turned that into a little bit more of a speed series, but still you get fresh single track trail and reading trail is important. Uh, but the, the, the sprint enduro is like, said, that's more like what a stay test is like. So that, you know, is definitely going to help the guys. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. I, I really am. Um, I, I, we've had a couple of sprint enduros around locally that I've had a chance to take part in. Um, and mm-hmm. again, I just, I think maybe just because if nothing else, it's, big part of it is cause it's a different format, right? And you're yep. trying mm-hmm. to go as fast as possible, but you're, kind of still racing the clock right like i don't know it's just you're treated a little bit differently and maybe that's just because you kind of know you're quote-unquote sprinting opposed to an enduro where sometimes you know you're trying to go as fast as possible but you're it's like it's 10 miles long so you're kind of like uh how did you go 110 percent for 10 miles it's kind of tough yeah (laughs) so yep Hopefully we can make that happen. Well, man, before we let you go, right? AMA National Adventure Riding Series. I saw this pop up when I was doing some Googling and research. Could you just give me a little bit of highlights on this? I think this is something that would be interesting um, to learn a little bit more about. Yeah, absolutely. The The uh, AMA Adventure Series, uh, we actually sponsored the series this year. Uh, and we've been doing our own event for the past 14 years, the KTM Adventure Rider Rally. Right, yeah. Um, we had it in Crested Butte last year. We have a 350 rider limit. We sell out. And it's pretty, pretty amazing series. And also that type of riding is, is kind of hitting a growth spurt right now in America and all over the, the, the United States. In fact, uh, I had a meeting with the, all the guys from Austria and all a bunch of the other importers of KTMs throughout the world. And they actually took our KTM Adventure Rider Rally series, and now it's a worldwide series. Oh, awesome. Um, so for, to have an idea like that and see you know the company use it is pretty spectacular. But 
you know, that's another thing, um, you know, because the adventure bikes are pretty neat because you can, it lets you, you know, explore some back roads. And if you see a trail that, you know, you want to get into, you still can. And, you know, the bike just gives, opens up a lot of opportunities because of fuel range. And, you know, people see on that, it's like, oh yeah, he he can go wherever he wants. You know, nobody's going to think you're going to be out there pounding some single track, but you know, it's not the perfect setup for that bike, but the bike can still do it. Uh, you know, or if you're going to go to Alaska or explore the Rockies or, you know, places in Texas, you know, go down to Terlingua and back, you know, it's just the perfect bike for that. And it's just uh, opens up just some really neat riding experience. And do it. It's a challenge to different than going fast. I mean, Mike Lafferty this year, he actually rode the Pennsylvania National Enduro on his 1090 adventure. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Like, I mean, that's, that's pretty insane, man. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. That's that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I'm sure he did way better than a lot of people wanted to admit when he beat them. Yes, yes. When you got passed by a street bike, <laughs> in fact, <laughs> I know, unfortunately, he hurt Dick Burleson's feelings because uh, Dick actually signed up on the row behind Mike and was riding one of our 350 EX legal motorcycle as well. He said, yeah, EXE, he said, I should be able to maybe, you know, hang with Mike, catch Mike, you know, riding that 1090. And Mike, he never caught Mike, and Mike beat him in every test and, uh. and hurt, hurt Dick's feelings a little bit, <laughs> you know. So, but but Mike, he rides that thing like it's a 250 XCW. It's amazing how, and and he even had to learn a little bit. Like the first section, he kind of pushed it a little bit and fell over one time, and then he's like, I don't want to be picking up a 500 pound motorcycle. Nope. A couple times a section, so he backed it down a little bit, but still. I finished, he think he finished like 106th overall out of over 500 riders. So. Yeah, that's, that's damn impressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, you're there riding riding as hard as you can, and then some guy blows by you on a street bike. It just ruins your day. <laughs> yeah, you just lay over and cry on the side of the trail. You're like, that's it. The yeah. day is done. <laughs> but then, you know, you have to remember, hey, he is eight-time national enduro champ, and the guy is still unbelievably talented. Yeah, the guy uh, can ride a motorcycle extremely well, probably yeah. regardless of the motorcycle at this point. Yes. Which, yeah. which he's pointing right there yeah and then that's the cool thing you know because you mentioned cole kirkpatrick cole does all our ktm adventure rider rallies he does all the video work for him and he just does yep. an amazing job and you can go on his site and see some of the the events we've done and uh you know it's 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 pretty cool because that's the neat thing about it is you can go riding with your buddies and you can bench race and that's really why we all do it it's just for the enjoyment of it and the racing has been great for me and i wouldn't trade it for the world and, but still you look back over the years and some of your best riding because i've been very fortunate to to go riding pretty much all over the world and uh like i said i did new zealand we got to go riding with alfie in south africa i rode to romaniacs you know and you know along with six days and other events and it's just the the people you get to meet in your travels has just been amazing uh and stuff uh, to, and then quinn cody you know he also went and did the romaniacs on a 1090 adventure yes. and i just ridden that race a few years ago and i'm and i did it on a 300 and i'm like quinn you need your head examined. Yeah, you got and, uh, issues, buddy. <laughs> yes, because that is the only race I've ever ridden where I had to get an EKG at sign-up before they let you ride. Like you need to have a pulse? They're more than the pulse. They they hooked you up to the EKG machine, and they checked your heart rate and made sure you didn't have anything funny with you. <laughs> I, I took a picture of my EKG results and texted it to my wife, and she said, what have you gotten yourself into? <laughs> like, I'm, like, I'm alive I'm, currently. <laughs> 10 yes, hours, I, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> yeah. And and after I rode the race, I can see why they did that. Because it's, it's legitimately it was, extremely gnarly? 
it was the most difficult race I've ever ridden in my life. And that's and, uh, Graham Jarvis's favorite race, by the way. Yeah. I could tell you, I would go back to Romania and ride tomorrow in a heartbeat. I would never go back and ride the race again because 90% of it was spectacular. 10% was like trying to put your bike in a second floor garage, you know, with no way to get there. Oh. You know, I mean, I had a rope on my bike and we used it at least once a day, if not more. Wow. Because uh, basically Alfie Cox and I, he and I, he's the reason we ended up doing it because we were riding down at his place in South Africa. And, you know, he said hey, let's go ride Romania. And he, he said, we'll go ride. I said, don't want to do the race. But he goes, I know the promoter. You know, I'll make it happen. We'll like pre-ride or something. And then he signed <laughs> or us we'll up sign in the race. you up. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and it's like, and they had three classes, you know, pro, expert, and hobby. It's like, you sign us up in hobby, right? Oh, no, hobby class lane. We're riding expert. It's like, Alfie. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, like Thanks, I said, buddy. I, I finished, <laughs> yeah, I finished it. So that was an accomplishment in itself. But, you know, it was... Uh, that's Just the finisher award you want, right? You've gotten yes. the, the 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 sticker from Pinton and that finisher's yeah. award. Those are the two that are the most prized possessions. And actually, you know, my most prized possession though is after the 1986 Blackwater Bally Pinball Company actually made a Blackwater 100 pinball game. I've seen one and in person. Are you one of the riders? Well, if you look down on the left side of the machine where the ball comes down the, the, the first downhill there, there's a Dunlop banner, and my name should be on that Dunlop banner. Awesome. But, uh, but the guys from Bally actually gave me one of those pinball games, and I got serial number one. House, and my wife and I play it on a regular basis, so that is, that is probably my most prized possession. Oh, I can, yes. I can understand that. You know, I ran into yeah. one randomly at a makerspace here in Dallas. And they were oh, a right. bunch of people, you know, they rebuild pinball machines. And uh, okay. sometimes they go through and replace electronics and, and they kind of just figure stuff out. And they had one of the Blackwater yep. 100s in there. And I took a just a crap ton of pictures of it. I think I posted <laughs> it on the Seat Time uh, Facebook page because yeah. I was just like, guys, I've never seen one of these in purpose. You know, I'd seen the pictures yeah. of them, but I was just like, oh, my gosh, they still hadn't had it working yet. But that's uh-huh. cool. I'll go back and look at the pictures and, and, uh, and check out your name and be like, I just talked to that guy on the internet. It's a good time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's probably the coolest racing memorabilia piece I have. That's awesome. That's my six day helmets. Oh, I saved all my skunk helmets. Yeah. I saved all my helmets and all my headlights from all my six days. Oh, and the headlights. That's smart. That's yeah. a cool idea. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, you yeah. have to uh, yeah. send us a couple pictures and we'll post those with the episodes if you don't mind. Okay. Yeah, no problem. That'll be cool. Well, dude, any yeah. last words, right? We've we've taken up enough of your time. You've told us some fantastic <laughs> story. Again, like that's the thing when we get going with this, I just feel like you know, that we could kind of just keep on going, um, but we got to save stuff for, you know, for 2018, right? We'll call back in, uh, for part two. That's right. But um, yeah, any any, any any other thoughts, any other just last kind of like ways to close it out, you think? You know, I just want to, you know, wish everybody a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. It's that time of year. That but, is true. Uh, you know, uh, as far as the motorcycling goes, like I said, I've had tremendous success racing, you know, could have been better, but could have been worse. Uh, but just the people that you get to meet through the adventures that we've had and, you know, all the friends I have throughout the United States and around the world, you know, and just to go out riding with your buddies. It's just something, you know, that I've enjoyed. And then, too, when I was a kid, just all that time. And my dad still rides to this day. In fact, uh, this year, I he's been bugging me. I got him a. 690 KTM Enduro and he put a sidecar on it 
because, you know, he's a little older, so, and the bike's a little tall for him. So, uh, you know, my dad still has the passion for riding and that's where I got it from. And just, uh, you know, the time that he and I got to spend together is when I was a kid growing up and riding and, you know, just all that father son time was just a blast. And to, you know, my whole family, my wife has been so supportive and everything that I've done, my, my two sisters. And, and that is another quick, funny story is, you know, when I first started racing, riding you know my dad had broken his leg snow skiing and that was bad and then he broke it racing a motorcycle and that's the worst thing he could have ever done and you know i had all these relatives you need to get it give that up you do something but then it's funny the better i got at racing you know the more the family liked me you know and then it, it just it's you know you know i had one aunt that she like you know couldn't stand motorcycles and then after you know i went to my first six days you know then I was the, the, her hero because, you know, I'm a world traveler now, you know, because yep. of motorcycles and, you know, and even my grandma and grandpa, they even went to one of the Blackwaters that I won and they also went to six days in Holland. So, you know, it was a whole family uh, effort and, and you see that a lot in the motorcycling community. I mean, it's a, a family sport and a, I can't think of a better way to spend time with your family than doing something everybody enjoys. Yeah, I love it. I really do. But my five-year-old son, Liam, we just got him his first, yeah. as he calls it, his first oil-burning motorcycle because he had a <laughs> he had an electric one at four and then nice. he was just on, uh, you know, little kick bikes and stuff before that. Yeah. So, and you know, he, we're, he's, he's still a little hesitant, but I'm just kind of like, he talks about it all the time with me and I know at some point, I'm, you know, he's going to be asking me to go ride opposed to me asking him and that's fine and yeah. we're just having fun yeah. with it. And I still, you know, my dad, Papa Pierce is at all the races that he can make it to me with me. He he is yeah. kind of like in the same shape as you're talking about with your dad. You know, he can, yeah. he can throw a leg over a bike, but it's, you know, it could be dangerous in the long run if yeah. you were to try to do it too many times. <laughs> but yeah, you know, we're still there. We still do it together. And they yeah. are my most fond memories, period, like yeah. of, of what yeah. my father and I have done together. And then the times that I've done other events that he may not have been there, but it's just kind of crazy the people you meet and the experiences you have because of two wheels and an engine. I don't know. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. But we're <laughs> yes, crazy and weird, but we're at least crazy and weird together. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Awesome. Well, Mr. Yep. Mark Hyde, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate what you've done, not just for yourself in this sport, but for all of us. You know, it's 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 people like your, yourself that have helped shaped where we're at now. Um, and I just say thanks for the time and thanks for all that you've done because it's been it's been awesome. Well, thank you, Brian, for checking in. Uh, you know, anytime we, I'd love to chat with you some more. So, uh, you know, when you get bored, call me back. Absolutely, man. We'll definitely, will you, uh, I guess, yeah, now that you said it, have a great Christmas, enjoy the new year and we'll definitely be in touch soon. Sounds great. You do the same. (laughs) Thanks, sir. Uh, I'll see you now. As always, I'm continuously blown away by the epic stories we unearth here on our history lesson podcast. Chatting with Mr. Mark Hyde was a heck of a great time. Reminder, if you're looking for more Seat Time content, please head to our YouTube channel. We have tons of reviews, riding with Woody, five years of off-road web shows, and, of course, random shenanigans. Reminder to check out our collaboration video with Dirt Buzz, watch our Grim Possible videos, and become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash seat time. Always enjoy a pint full of awesome, and we will see you on the internet.